I have a story because I love to start with a story. It's always fun. When I was in, I think it was like fourth or fifth grade, uh, I got put into a group project for history class. Uh, I don't know how group projects went for you in fourth or fifth grade, but I was usually a pretty aimless, uh, lazy kid, so I wasn't much help. I wasn't particularly genius at that point either. I was kind of like a fly under the radar. Don't do anything too impressive or too unimpressive, but just hover right there, just a little below baseline. That was my sweet spot. So you throw that kid in a group project with two other kids that are the same way. Big mistake. Uh, The goal was to make a video presentation of, I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something along the lines of like early American agriculture. And what fourth grade does not love to make a video presentation about early American agriculture? So we were talking about it like, okay, we'll talk about, let's do it like a newscast. Maybe that'd be kind of like a creative way to do it. Because you look at the rubric of like, hey, this is how you're going to be graded on this assignment. And it was like 40 points for historical accuracy, 30 points for correctly uh, sourcing your sites, or correctly citing your sources. Uh, another couple of points for, you know, like staying within the time frame that was allotted for this thing. And then somewhere down at the bottom, there was like two bonus points for like creativity. It's just like, this is not really about creativity. This is about early American agriculture and how well can you present history? So we got excited. We're like, let's do a newscast. But maybe it's like someone from the future interviewing somebody from the past and they could be like talking about that. It's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Ooh, also, what if it was like The Matrix? Because that movie just came out and we were all really excited about it. And what if there was like a love story, but then like the bad guy from the past turns bad and he tries to kill the guy from the future and it just devolved into like, it, so then we were like up until like 3 a.m. It, it wasn't supposed to be a sleepover, but it became one because it took us so long to create the cinematic masterpiece we were working on. We'd like turn the camera on its side and make it look like we were running on the walls like in the Matrix. And this isn't a a video presentation about early American agriculture. So we get to the end of it. We're so stoked about it. We show it in class. And the whole time, we're just like, yeah, this was awesome. And then everyone else in class is like, we learned nothing. Uh, So it was kind of funny because you think about that. Like, man, we worked so hard in this. We poured our life and soul into this. We were up until 3 in the morning about this. We really did our absolute best. And we got like a 2% on that assignment. Hard fail. Like, not even close. 100%, not 100%. You failed the assignment. And we go, how did we fail? We worked so hard on this thing. We poured all of our effort into this. And they go, hold on, let me tell you why you failed. 40% for historical accuracy. You got about one point there. (laughs) You mentioned two facts and you didn't cite them. That was the other 30%. So you did really good on the part that was worth two points, but you forgot everything else that was all more important than creativity. You put all your eggs in the smallest, worthless basket. So us working as hard as we possibly could, we still only got a two out of 100 on that assignment, something along those lines. Um, So I thought this was just a funny story that kind of summarized something that I I started to see in scripture. Um, And uh, so the first one I uh, was reading through on my retreat in, I think, November. I was reading through 1 Samuel, and there was a couple of things in there that stuck out to me. Number one was uh, Saul. So Samuel says, Saul, you're going to be the king. You're going to rule. It's going to be great, like wonderful time. So Saul is obeying the Lord, doing good things, winning victories, winning battles. And it gets to this part where uh, Samuel says, okay, I heard from God. It says, go destroy the, uh, the Amal- 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 Amalekites. That's what it is. Um, 
Uh, I was going to try and make a joke, but it wasn't funny. <laughs> so I'm not going to share it. <laughs> um, go destroy the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you've wiped them out. So Saul goes, okay, that's what we're going to do. And he says, by the way, when I say wipe them out, what I mean is like destroy everything. Like burn it all. Don't bring anything back. You're going to go defeat them. Wipe them off the face of the earth. That means like don't bring back the plunder, whether it's gold or cattle or sheep or crops. Leave it. Burn it. All of it. So it's like, okay. So Saul goes out there. They win the battle. And then he and his men are looking around being like, wait a minute, there's gold here. And these are actually some really nice sheep, like spotless lambs, like the kind we're supposed to sacrifice. And it's actually really good crops. And like the Lord asks us to offer the first fruits, right? To say, hey, this came into our kingdom. We're going to give the first of it to God. So they say, okay, well, you know what? Instead of burn everything, let's burn everything except the stuff that we want to offer to God as a sacrifice, and you think, okay, well, that's all right. You know, right? You're, you're doing a good thing. The Lord desires sacrifice, especially in the Old Testament. The idea that like, yes, this is part of our gains and we should tithe off of that, you know, offer off these first fruits. And he brings it back to Samuel and Samuel's like, what did you do? He's like, we did exactly what you asked. We wiped out the Amalekites and we, we came back and we brought these things and, we, and not only did we do what God asked, but we also sacrificed to the Lord. So that's like bonus points, right? Two points for creativity, uh, and Samuel responds saying, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord to obey is better than sacrifice. There we go. Thank you, Ken. Uh, as much as in obeying the Lord, uh, to obey is better than sacrifice to heed is better than the fat of the Rams for rebellion is like the sin of divination. Basically divination saying, seeing the future, seeing what's going to happen. Rebellion is basically saying, it's like divination saying, I'm going to see my future, not God's future. Of saying, I'm going to create my own future regardless of what I'm hearing from God. So rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. You're worshiping the wrong God. And it's interesting because you say, but wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, sorry, because of this, uh, because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. What? Hold on. Sacrifice. I was following the rules. God, I did exactly what you asked. Why have you rejected me when I'm doing exactly what you asked me to do? But Samuel's saying, does the Lord delight in offerings as much as, or, sorry, burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? What he's showing is there's a big rule and there's a little rule. There's a, there's a greater rule and there's a lesser rule. And what he says is, you chose the lesser over the greater. Yeah, you completed offering to the Lord, but you forgot obeying the Lord. Good job. You got two points on your assignment. You missed the other 98%. You chose the lesser and sacrificed the greater. Uh, there's another story in this wrecked me again. This is, it's like haunted me since I read it. Uh, it's a story of a man named Doug. In the Bible, First uh, Samuel 22 is all about Doug. It is actually Doeg, D-O-E-G. I didn't know how to pronounce it, and I just saw Doug. So we're going to talk about Doug. First Samuel 22. Doug, first of all, the name Doug, especially in Scripture, the name of a person often indicates the kind of person they were or what they did or how they behaved or what mattered to them. Doug's name means cautious, timid. Some would say fearful, anxious, okay? So if caution is Doug's goal, 
right? I want to make sure that I'm safe and protected and I'm nervous and I don't want to get, a, I don't want anyone to hurt me, right? So that's Doug's primary goal. His number one value is stay safe. Okay. So Doug, uh, so sorry, David, when he starts fleeing from Saul, visits uh, Abimelech and says, who's a priest and says, hey, I need you to seek God. And also I don't have a weapon. I'm running from my father-in-law who's trying to kill me. Uh, well, I don't even think he said that, but he basically just said, I have to flee. So the priest says, okay, I will hear God for you, offer a sacrifice, give you instructions from the Lord. I'm going to give you the sword of Goliath, which you rightfully deserve because you killed Goliath. Uh, and then I'm going to send you on your way. So then Saul shows up later and sorry, as David's there too, Doug watches this happen. That's all it says about Doug is that he just saw it happen. Um, and then uh, Saul shows up saying, hey, uh, Abimelech, where's David? He goes, oh, you, like your, your son-in-law, David. Yes, because I love you and your household. I offered a sacrifice. I heard from God. I gave him instruction. I gave him the sword that's his because I want you and your household to prosper. And I sent him on his way. And Saul said like, what have you done? Like you have done this horrible thing against me. How dare you help David? He's against me. You're with him and you're not with me. Guards, kill this priest. And you think, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, so Saul went from, I chose offering over obedience now he's choosing murder. Yeah. <laughs> like murder is like, we're, not, we're now not just like obeying lesser rule. We're not just now obeying lesser rules. We're breaking big ones. Yeah. It's like, wow, Saul, you went on a huge downhill slope as soon as you started misplacing your values. So now he's here ready to kill a priest. And he says to his guards, guards, kill this priest. And it says the guards wouldn't do it. They'd say, whoa, 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 man. No, no, no. We're not going to kill a priest. Like I'm listening to this guy. He said he helped you out. He's actually saying, because I love you and your family, I'm not going to, like, I'm, I'm not going to kill this guy. This is an innocent man of God. Uh, but then Doug has a different idea. And let's jump into 1 Samuel 22, verse 17. Uh, the king ordered the guards at his side, turn and kill the priest of the Lord, because they too have sided with David. They knew he was fleeing, yet they did not tell me but the king's officials were unwilling to raise a hand to strike the priest of the Lord. King's officials, brave men, swords, ready for a fight. Brave men said, I'm not going to follow that order. So then the king then ordered Doug, who is a herdsman. He's a shepherd, right? He just works out in the field. You turn and strike down the priests. So Doug says, okay, I, I don't want to get in trouble, Right. And the guy in authority here is telling me to strike down an innocent man. If caution is my primary goal, if me just being safe and I'm scared, just don't hurt me. I'll hurt someone else so that you don't hurt me. That day he killed 85 men who wore the linen ephod. Priests, holy men, shedding innocent blood. He killed 85 people because he was afraid. One more. He also, as if that wasn't enough, put to the sword knob. That's a town. He killed the priests, men and women, children and infants, cattle, donkeys, and sheep. He killed every, a single man went on a killing spree that wiped out an entire village because he was cautious. You think about, okay, caution, that's good. You should be cautious, right? But murder is pretty bad. So, you know, maybe obedience to Saul is a good thing. Obeying your king, that's a good thing. But what about thou shalt not kill? Which one's two? Which one's a hundred? What's the greater rule here? The problem is he made the lesser thing the greater thing. 
And he sacrificed his humanity in service of the wrong value by following a good order, but the wrong order in this context. And then you think too about uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes. He's basically trying to say, well, what's the main thing then, right? Because if, if, if it can't be caution, if it can't be sacrifice, like what should be at the top of the list, right? What belongs there? Because if I have the system of values where maybe it's like loyalty is important and so is commitment and so is courage and so is, you know, uh, hard work, but what belongs at the top? Solomon tried everything. He tried pleasure, wisdom, folly, toil, work. He tried career and advancement. He tried riches. And he found all of that was meaningless. None of that led to anything of value. And he said uh, in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, here's the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. For that's the duty of all mankind. So as far as Solomon, wisest man in history, trying to figure out what belongs at the top and he said, fear God, keep his commandments. What commandments? That's a good question. We'll get back to that. Um, but the one thing I want to mention here is with Doug and with Saul, even when good things are placed in the wrong order, the result is devastating. Good things in the wrong order become bad things, which is interesting. And this actually bothered Jesus as well. So then you look at Jesus and you think, man, who are the people doing good things in the wrong order? Uh, let's see. He says in Matthew 22, uh, Matthew 23, verses 23, 24. I'll read this out of the Passion. Uh, Great sorrow awaits you religious scholars and Pharisees, you frauds and pretenders. You are obsessed with peripheral issues, little things, lesser truths, like insisting on paying meticulous tithes on the smallest herbs that grow in your garden. You're tithing off of your dill. You're tithing off of cumin. We have, a, we have a chive plant that grows in our backyard. It's basically saying, wait a minute, Natalie, it's Sunday. I'm going to go out back and I'm going to clip 10% of the best of my chives and I'm going to bring them to the Lord. I'm going to say, Lord, chives for you, my first fruits. The Pharisees are doing this passionately. Yes, take my dill, take my basil, right? It's silly when you think about it. But that's the Pharisees. And Jesus says, these matters are fine. Like, sure, if that's what you want to do, you go for it, man. Uh, these matters are fine, yet you ignore the most important duty of all. The bigger one, to walk in the love of God, to display mercy to others, to live with integrity, readjust your values and place first things first. He's saying, Pharisees, what you're doing, it's not that what you're doing is bad. It's that it's out of order. You guys are crushing it on the two-point part of the assignment, but you're missing the other 98. Like, these are much more important parts of the puzzle here. And you guys are crushing it on the thing that barely matters at all. So, uh, so now a good example then. Well, now, how do you walk this out then? So Matthew 12, verse 9 Oh yeah, sorry, I do want to read this. Uh, so yeah, he says that as well. What blind guides, you Pharisees? Nitpickers. You nitpickers. It's like, oh gosh, I feel like you can't even say that. That feels like an offensive term. And this is why I think it's funny when people are like, Christians are supposed to be nice. I'm like, he's killing them nitpickers. Blind guides. Like, he's not afraid to bring some truth when truth needs to be brought. You'll spoon out a gnat from your drink, yet at the same time, you've gulped down a camel without realizing it. It's basically like you got, you know, you, you drink, you get snake venom into a, into a cup. You got a cup full of poison and you go, oh, wait a minute. 
there's a fly in there. Let me pick that out. Oh, gosh. Can you imagine if I drank that fly? Like, you're missing the point, guys. Like, you're removing something small, but you're swallowing something so much worse. So then, uh, how does Jesus walk this out? Matthew 12, verses 9 through 13. Uh, Going on from that place, he went into the synagogue. Uh, And a man with a shriveled hand was there looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus. They asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Good question. And again, the Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus, right? And prove to the world, this guy breaks the rules. Nitpickers, right? (laughs) This guy's healing. Yeah, okay, what? (laughs) But he broke the rule. He wasn't on the Sabbath. Okay, mm, hold on. Let's watch how this plays out. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath nitpickers, will you not take hold of it and lift that out? Like, doesn't that just make sense? So how much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Wait a minute. He's saying it's lawful to break the law. What? Hold on a second. And this is where the Pharisees like, hmm, what? You know, so then you could say, He's breaking the Sabbath. But then you think about a Pharisee would see a person lying in the ditch, reaching out, asking for the love of God to touch their lives, to bring healing and restoration. And a Pharisee would walk by and say, "Mm, sorry, dude, it's the Sabbath. I can't do it today. Like, maybe I'll come back tomorrow. Good luck, buddy. Take care. Leave him behind. Now, is that Jesus? Is that what Jesus would do? We see absolutely not. Someone needs healing. Somebody's asking for that. He says, yeah, I'm gonna heal this person. Like, oh, nitpickers, you broke the Sabbath. It's like, yeah, I did. Whatever, it's lawful to heal on the Sabbath. Lawful to do good on the Sabbath. That's interesting. So going on from there, then he said to the man, stretch out your hand and it was restored, just as sound as the other. But the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. The nitpickers started working. They started picking. Um, So this is what it's interesting about Jesus. Jesus knew the rules inside and out. Right, it says that he actually was a rabbi, so he knew the law and the prophets, memorized every single one of the rules. It's not that he didn't know the rules, being like, Jesus, don't you know that it's the Sabbath? It's like, guys, I like invented it, like chill. Uh, but he's saying he knew the rules, but he also knew when to break them. You're like, wait a minute, Jesus broke the rules? Yes, he did. What? My God would never break the rules. You may have the wrong God, uh, or you just don't know the right one. So, Jesus knew the difference. Well, actually, let me do the verse first. So Matthew 5, verse 17. uh, I love this. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets, because that's what they're saying. Jesus, are you just saying we don't have to follow the synagogue or the, uh, the Sabbath? We don't have to follow that anymore? You're breaking the law. You're just throwing the law right out the window? He's saying, no, no, no. I've not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So Jesus, you're saying that there's a difference between following the law and fulfilling the law? We said, yeah, I'm not following the law. I'm fulfilling the law. What does that mean? What's the difference? Jesus knew that there was a difference between following the law and fulfilling the law. So let's ask Jesus, what does it mean to fulfill the law? So we're going to jump now to Matthew 22. Sorry, we are all over scripture today. I got to like send out these references because there's a lot we're building a case here. So 
Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And this is a really important question. Based on everything we've said today, there's all these little tiny baby rules. And then there's these monumental, very important rules. So now they're saying, okay, God, you're saying that some rules are more important than other. Which one's at the top? Solomon couldn't quite figure it out. He said, fear the Lord and keep your commandments. So Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? We're supposed to keep it. So Jesus says, all right, this is it. Love the Lord your God with every passion of your heart with all the energy of your being and with every thought that is within you, love the Lord. Rule number one, biggest commandment. Most of the score, this is the great and supreme commandment. Next. And the second command, so number one and number two is a little bit smaller, but just about as big here. You must love your friend in the same way you love yourself contained within these two commandments. There's just two. Now the law and the prophets is a whole long list of crazy rules, but he's saying within just these two things, you'll find all of the meaning of the law and the prophets. So what he's saying here, love God and love others. And if you do that, you will fulfill the law. It's like, but what if I break the law? It's like, well, hold on. Why is the law there? What's the reason for the law? Why did we write all, why did we spend time? Why did Moses go to God and get all of these rules just so that he can write them down and give them to people? And now God's saying like, hey, you don't actually have to worry about those anymore. He says, why? It's like, well, here's the deal. The rules were good. They were a mirror. They helped show you the right way to be. But the whole point of the law was so that people would learn through rules and process and practice as they go through the law. The hope is that by the time they made it through the system called the law, they would reach the end of that assembly line and the result would be love God, love others. That was the point that every rule was written. The rules were designed to help us love God and love others. So what Jesus is saying, hold on a second, hold on. Love God, love others. That's the goal. That's the reason the rule exists. So here's the deal. If you guys just love God and love others, everything else doesn't actually matter anymore. Like it's not that it doesn't matter. They might still be excellent rules, but when the rules are doing their job, the result is you love God and love others. He's saying, let's just start at the end. Let's just begin with that. And then everything else just kind of happens on its own. It either doesn't matter or it just fulfills itself. It's like, why? It's like, again, how do we fulfill the law? Love God and love others. So Jesus said, hold on a second. There's a sick man here. And the law says, don't heal on the Sabbath. But the law's goal is to love God and love others. So am I going to love God and love others? Or am I going to follow the law? Do I follow the rules or do I fulfill the rules? Do I follow the law or do I fulfill the reason the law is there? And he's saying, okay, I can either go back to step one and two, or I can jump right to the finish line where I just love this man. So that's what he does. So this is interesting too, because I, I think it, what's, what's really interesting about this is you get the idea of saying, okay, some of you might be thinking what some of those early protesters were thinking about, like, what? So I don't have to follow any of the laws, right? And we're, we're free from them, right? We know that new covenant means like most, all the Old Testament, the curse, it's gone. We have a new covenant now. And it's not, if we don't, you know, ceremonially wash, you know, after we become unclean, we're not gonna be punished and slapped by God and kicked out of the church. Like that's, we're free from that. And even tithing, if I don't tithe, no one's gonna show up on your door with a baseball bat asking to collect their money. Like that's not how it works anymore. We are free from it, right? We don't have to do any of it because Jesus gave us a new heart 
that allows us to love God and love others without us having to be molded by the law, the law that is actually no help in us getting to that end. So what's really interesting is I want to say this, <laughs> and this is, this is dangerous, but hear me. You, you, you were following me with right now. The goal here is if we're to follow Jesus's example, based on what we just said, it is all right to break the law if it helps you fulfill the law, but do so with caution. So now here's the thing. This comes out of the Codex Beze, which is actually the, the documents that the Bible was pulled from. So like the whole book of Luke and much of Acts was pulled from this document. So it's not in the Bible, but it's in where the Bible came from. I don't know why it never made it in, but in the King James, it said, if indeed thou knowest what thou dost, thou art blessed. But if thou knowest not what thou dost, thou art accursed and a transgressor of the law. <laughs> Let's try it again in English. So if you, so, and, this is, and this fits right in with what Jesus was just talking about. If you know what you're doing, when you break the law, you're blessed. What? If I break the law for a good reason in service of a higher value, it is actually a blessing to break the law. But if you don't know what you're doing, you're cursed and a transgressor of the law. So here's what he's saying. If I say you don't have to keep the Sabbath or better yet, yeah, let's say that. You don't have to keep the Sabbath. So Jesus says, well, I'm not gonna keep the Sabbath so that I can love this man. And now someone else might say, whoa, wait, Jesus didn't keep the Sabbath? Then I'm not going to keep the Sabbath. Let's go party. That person's cursed. But Jesus is blessed. They both broke the rule, but one broke the, rule, broke the law so that they could fulfill it. And one broke the law out of rebellion. So your heart is actually the thing that makes the difference on this one. So breaking the law in order to fulfill it is a blessing. That's a good thing. But breaking the law just because you can is actually not good for you and it's not good for the people around you. So it's okay to break the law in order to fulfill it, but do so wisely, cautiously, understand why the rule is there before you decide that I don't need it anymore. Something that uh, Dave Ramsey, uh, who's at Financial Peace University, he also has a book called Entree Leadership. He says, whenever I have a new employee that I'm training, and they're saying, hey, you know what, Dave, I, I see how you're doing it, but I want to do it this way. And he goes, no, 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 no. You're going to learn how to do it like I do it. And then once you know exactly how I do it and why I do it, then we can try it how you do it. And they go, but I have a great idea. He's like, I know, but my way has been fruitful. It has been well thought out. It's been carefully crafted so that this job can produce a, you know, a return that can be fruitful and life-giving. So you try it my way first, then you can tell me about your ideas. And he says, most of the time, what happens is they learn it his way and they go, oh, no, 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 this actually makes a ton of sense. You were right in the first place. But the person that says, no, no you know what? I'm going to change your system. Decades may have gone into building that system. And you say, I got a better one. And I'm just going to do this over here. Well, hold on. You might be ignoring something that's good and well-designed and fruitful just because nah, I don't want to do it. I'm going to rebel. It's like, hold on a second. If you're going to not follow the rules, you better know why you're not following them. And you better be not following them so that you can serve something more important than what the rule is trying to draw you towards. So a good example for this is funny. When it comes to masks right now during a pandemic, even the people that love masks, they say masks are great. We should all be wearing masks all the time. Even those people, I think, when they see people driving in a car by themselves with their mask on, go, okay, <laughs> come on. <laughs> Like, you, you don't have to wear that in your car. Like, do you, do you know why the rule for masks exists? It's so that when you're around other people, other people, 
that your breath doesn't make it to them and their breath doesn't make it to you, you realize you're in a contained unit with its own circulating air with no other people, you can take that off. Like, <laughs> even if the rule makes sense, I think we can be wise enough to say, all right, I don't need this right now. It's a good rule sometimes, but not right now. But then again, in the same fact, you could also say, well, then someone would say, oh, then I don't have to wear a mask. It's like, well, hold on a second. What if you're in a medical facility surrounded by immunocompromised elderly people and you're sick and they, if they get sick with anything, they're going to die. You say, I don't have to wear my mask because the rule is stupid. It's like, <laughs> you know why the rule is there. It's to protect the transmission of any illness from you to somebody else. These people are of incredibly high risk and you might be sick yourself. Wear that mask. Because <laughs> if I'm going to say, well, I have the freedom to not wear it. It's like, yeah, but you're, now it's again, it's saying like, okay, sure, good for you. You have your freedom. But now you're neglecting love God, love others. Like you're not loving others if you intentionally know there's a high risk I can kill you right now. So it's the question of like, do I wear a mask or not wear a mask? Here's the deal. Obedience is good. But if it comes between you and loving somebody or doing good, doing the right thing, it's all right, in my opinion, and I think Jesus models this, that if we're going to ignore the rule, we better do so in service of something more important than what the rule is trying to create. And here's another funny example that I think speaks to our church. Uh, so uh, I'm going to use Molly Roberts as an, uh, as an example. Molly, I, hope, I didn't talk to you about this. I hope you're fine with this. But, but you said something that I think some other people have said of how um, in worship on church, sometimes, you know, depending on how, how intense of a production worship is at a church, they'll say like, you know, you have to wear a certain kind of clothes. You have to stand a certain kind of way. Your hand has to be up during every chorus, but not during the verse. And it's very like structured. There's a lot of rules in place. And you say, well, why are those rules in place? So that worship can be effective and it can impact the people that are listening to the worship. And you go, okay. But Molly was saying, and I've heard this from other people too, about like, well, hold on, but following the rules of worship doesn't feel like authentic worship. It feels like, you know, it feels like we're, we're putting on a show, but it's like, so why are the rules in place? The fulfillment of the rules of worship are to make powerful and authentic worship. But then we have Molly up here, who I love, where half the time she's over here praising God <laughs> at the drums, you know, or she's just flat on the ground somewhere praising the Lord. So then you ask the question, Mo, you're breaking the rules. You're not supposed to be at the back of the stage. You're not supposed to be on the ground. You're supposed to be worshiping. But she broke the rules in service of something greater, which is what? Authentic, passionate worship. And you say, you broke the rules. I know you didn't break the rules. You fulfilled them. You jumped all the way to the finish line. You're doing exactly what the rules are designed to help you do. You're just doing it. And even though you're breaking the rules, you're not, you're not breaking the rules. You are fulfilling them. So there's like a holy, sacred kind of breaking the rules if it is in service of what the goal of the rules originally was. So here's one more thing I want to say when it comes to, we're going to get to the blocks now. <laughs> Are some of you so excited that I'm finally going to explain these? So let's just look at this for a second. So now we have it where, uh, you know, maybe you can look at the Ten Commandments. You can look at, let's talk about a marriage for a second. So marriage is, let's say this, love God, love each other, love others. There we go. Love's the biggest commandment. So that we're going to start with that. This even has the, these are blocks that Avery uses all the time. The twins have chewed on them. They're beaten up and busted. We've stacked and more importantly, destroyed these blocks a thousand times, but they have the alphabet on the blocks in ascending order. So ABC is the big block. Then DEF 
comes after that. You guys know the alphabet? I don't know. I'm assuming we all know it. I should have asked about that first. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> if you haven't read the alphabet yet, I'm going to ruin the ending. It ends at Z. Uh, <laughs> so, A, B, C, D, E, F. Maybe second one is, uh, you know, respect each other. All right, love, respect, realize you're your own person. I honor you. You, you know, or let's say that this is an honor, you know, and you honor me, that's great. And then let's say the next one here is communication. You know, I'm not going to read your mind. I'm going to talk to you, right? Because we have that. Uh, next one here is going to be responsibility. You know, like I, I'm taking honor, owner, ownership and integrity in what I'm doing. And then on and on we go, and here things go, on and up we go. And then maybe at the very end of it, we can get to like grand romantic gestures where it's like, that's fun, but that's not the most important thing. Or let's say that's, uh, you know, husband and wife coming together. Let's say that is the result of everything being in the order. That's not what we focus on, but it's a natural byproduct. And now look at this. This is a big, tall, awkward thing made of cardboard, but I can pick it up. Here it is. It's actually pretty stable. What if I bump the table a little bit? Nah, nah. Ah, two things fell, but love's still here and respect is still here and communication and responsibility are still here. That's okay. If we lose a couple things off the top, that's fine. But let's try it differently. I heard a story of a man who said, because <laughs> we were in the marriage space a bit, and a man said, I will not show love to my wife unless she performs her wifely duties. Ah, oh, good luck. So, Let's say that's this, that's the little thing, right? When it comes to a marriage, what's the most important, sacred, like, what's the, what, what's the secret to a great marriage? Wifely duties? Well, let's see how it works when that's what's at the base of our foundation, when we start with that. And then maybe next we say, all right, uh, helping out with chores. That's not the most important thing, but it's important, right? And maybe it's, um, I don't know, writing nice posts about me on Facebook. Like, I like the public recognition. That's a good thing. Is it the most important thing? No, it is a good thing. And let's talk about maybe getting to see my family as much as I get to see your family. Right? Like that's, okay, important. But is that like, so then maybe, uh, what? <laughs> what, Natalie? What did I say? <laughs> but now look at this. As we're trying to build this as carefully as I can, we're, here we go. We're getting to respect the second most important thing we've decided as a part of our values. And now maybe at the very end, we have all... We never even got to love. The man that put wifely duties as his most important value in marriage, the goal of the rules of marriage, is so that wifely duties happen. But then love never even made it. And you might think when that's your foundation, even when that's the only thing, Nothing could stand on that. This is not the most important piece of it. So then you get to, to like, okay, well, fulfilling the law, he's actually saying is following it or it's fulfilling it. Like, how does that all shake out? So here's what I want to say. When love is the foundation, when you put first things first, A, B, C, love God, love others. That's number one. Now we can build on this. Now let me show you about this. So Matthew 6, starting in verse 33. And I love this. How does love fulfill the law? Above all, Matthew 6, passion. So above all, constantly chase after the realm of God's kingdom and the righteousness that proceeds from him. Love God. Then all of these important things, all of these less important things will be given to you abundantly. So what are you talking about? If I focus on the main thing, love God and love others, I just get everything else. 
It's just a natural byproduct of making sure that first things first. Uh, and I love too, when we think about that, like love God, love others, what does love really mean? I feel like one of the best examples I heard of it was uh, the best in you loving the best in me or the best in me loving the best in you. Like me, when I'm at my best, when I'm feeling filled up, self-sacrificial, empowered, me giving you my absolute best so that your life can go as good as it can possibly go. I just want your life to be prosperous, full of life, full of joy. I want you to be free and focused and passionate and thriving and happy and whole. Like that is love. When I want you to be the best of you, that is love. So we're going to jump to, because the Bible has a good explanation for this too. We're going to jump to 1 Corinthians 13, read like everybody's niece at the last wedding that they attended. If I speak in tongues of men or of angels... (laughs) but do not have love. I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move, but do not have love, I have nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Thank you, everybody's niece. You can have a seat. I film wedding guys. I've been to like over a hundred at this point. I've heard it too many times. Couldn't help myself. So that's the idea though, right? You can have all of these things. You can have every block, every single one of them. But if you don't have love, it all comes tumbling down. None of it actually matters. So then let's continue to define love when the best of you wants the best for others. Uh, So let's look at that. First Corinthians 13 verse four. Love is large and incredibly patient. Hold on, patient actually is a natural byproduct of love. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. Wait, 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 wait. Love does that? So I don't have to focus on being gentle or kind. If I love, I just get that? And if someone, if if love refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else, wait a minute, I don't have to focus on not being jealous. I just have to love someone and then I won't be jealous. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. Wait, wait, wait. Humility is actually a natural byproduct of love? No way. Let's move on. Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect. Wait, wait, wait. I don't have to focus on being respectful. I just have to love nor selfishly seek its own honor. I don't have to self-promote. I can just love. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. I don't have to focus on not being offended. I can just love. You're saying love just does all of this? It just happens? Is there anything after that? Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. I don't have to lie or cheat or steal or allow sin within my life or other people. I could just love because love is a safe place of shelter for it never stops believing the best for others. The best for others. Love, takes, love never takes failure as defeat. We are down, but not broken. We're gonna get back up because I want the best for you. It never gives up. And one more, love never stops loving. Love is not a temporary thing that we extend when it feels like it. It's something we always do. It extends beyond the gift of prophecy, which eventually fades. And it's more enduring than tons, which will one day fall sight. And love, lo- love remains long after words of knowledge are forgotten. Basically, in centuries of time, some word you gave, that's not going to last. You spoke in tongues, great, but it's t- a thousand years later. Nobody cares. All of things are happening, but the one thing that is still here and will never not be here is love. And we get to the very end of that too. Uh, I believe there's one more after that, or it's a little, 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Uh, 
Until then, the end of time, there are three things that remain. No matter how long it takes, these things are going nowhere. Foundation, greatest commandments, faith, hope, and love. Yet love surpasses them all. So above all else, let love be the beautiful prize for which you run. Well, why run after love and not the other things? Because when you run after love, you get the other things. It's a package deal. They're all part of the same bundle. You, can't get, you cannot get everything else without love. And if you get love, you get everything else. And I love too that love is more important than faith. It says you can't please God without faith. It says you can't even know God without faith because if you haven't seen him, all you can have is believe that he's there. So God is, to me, what this means is that God would rather you have love in your heart than have him. What? What is that about? How, you're saying I would rather, you, God is looking at someone saying, you know what, I can have you either love people or I could have a relationship with you. God says, love people. What? God loved, you are more precious than rubies. God had your name written before the beginning of time. He's a plan of destiny, but he's saying, you know what? If it comes down to me or love, choose love. What? Like, that's blowing my mind with all that. Like love is the highest thing. And one last thing on that, John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new command I give to you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another by this, by love. Everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. What would happen if the church was recognized first by love? Not about theological accuracy, not about making sure we're punishing the right sins, not about making sure our prophecies are super accurate. What if you just walk up to someone and they just love you? The way that they behave, the way that they serve you, the way that they focus on you, it's as though all they want is for you to get better, to succeed, to be more loving, to be more peaceful, to be more whole. What if every time you got around somebody like that, you go, oh, that's a Christian. That there, that's a Christian. Yeah, you know how you get around some people and they just make you feel better? They make you feel loved and cared for? That's Christians. What if we were known first and foremost by our love? Because if we get that right, everything else just comes with a package. It's all part of the deal. So in closing, God is love. So he's saying, if it's between you having love or relationship with me, I'm love. So maybe you get both. Maybe that's what it means. But love must cover everything, absolutely everything. And any rule or any law that you are following that comes in conflict with love and you have to choose between love or anything else, always choose love. If you're following a rule, that means, well, I don't have to do love because I'm following this rule. You are out of order and destruction is destined for you. Love must remain at the top. And you could say, well, what is the best for somebody? You can argue about that. You can argue, well, I think safety is good for you. I think that courage is good for you. Well, I think that patience is good for you. I think that uh, aggression is good for you. You can argue about what's best for somebody, but the goal of love must remain the top. Finding together, how do we make your life the best that it could possibly be? How can I serve you? How could everything that Jesus put into me, how can I see that happen in you? How could I see that explode out of you? 
So if you are given a rule to follow, one, understand why it's there. When you think about some of the rules of the Old Testament, did you ever really ask, why is this rule here? I don't have to follow it, sure, but I don't wanna do so out of ignorance because that's rebellion. I wanna do so intentionally, but what, why is it there? Because if you don't know why it's there, I don't know if I should be breaking it because it actually might be good for me. You know, the question of, you know, you, you shouldn't have sex before marriage. It's like, I don't know why that's in there. As a kid, I'm like, why does that matter? But I'm like, but I'm gonna follow the rule because one, I wanna be obedient to God. And two, I don't understand why it's there. So I don't know if I should break it. And then after years and years and years of time leading into marriage and leading to the point of marriage where it now is okay, I realized by the end of it, I'm so happy I did that. I broke it and then I fixed it. But when I fixed it, I thought, oh, that's why the rule's there. Because it's gonna give me a better marriage. And this is more important than any fleeting fun I could have along the way. I understand God, why the rule is there. And now that I know why it's there, I don't even wanna break it. You were right all along. I'm glad I learned how to do it your way before I did it my own way. Because it turns out you were right. But if there's ever a time where I have to break a rule to make sure that love happens, wanting the best for somebody, because I wanted the best for our marriage. I want the best for Natalie. And I'm not gonna do something that comes between Natalie and her best future and her best self coming out. Not gonna do it. I'm not gonna compromise love for anything else. So once again, let us be known by our love and let us not be followers of the rules. Let us be fulfillers of the rules. Love over all. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Family Life Christian Center podcast. If you enjoyed that message, please subscribe and share us with your friends. We believe the Holy Spirit is alive and active in the body of Christ and wants to have a relationship with us as he guides us toward our destiny. If you'd like to partner with us in your giving, please check out our website at www.familylife.cc giving. Or you can text GIVE to 844-955-0993. Thank you for listening and stay blessed.